Peter chapter 5. I don't, know, I don't even know if I remember when we started 1 Peter, but we're about to finish 1 Peter today. So yeah, we, we do finish books in the Bible that we start. I titled this message, Parting Words and Familiar Themes. And you're going to see in 1 Peter here, the Apostle Peter is led yet again to address some, some rather familiar themes and topics in, this, in these parting words with the folks there that he is writing to. And I want to highlight two principles that are pretty important for us to catch. We need to see them in Scripture. When you're just reading throughout Scripture, you should see these all over the place. And they matter greatly to us. They, they, I want to almost say that they're assumed realities for the Christian life. You know, when, when you and I go out and we just, we just do life... Um, we assume gravity, right? I mean, you, you, just, you, don't, you just live your life assuming I'm not going to float off. Stuff weighs things. Uh, we assume that we need to eat and we need to have liquids. Well, you, just, you just have created a pattern of life that assumes those realities. Well, these are realities that are like that. We assume these realities. Number one, you as a believer live in the temporary, but you live for the eternal. When the Bible talks to you about everyday living, it's assuming you're on board with that. It's assuming that you recognize that I live right here, right now in this limited temporary space, but I don't live for this. I live for an eternal home with God forever. All right, that needs to touch how we live. Secondly, the temporary world that we live in, it always, always includes two types of difficulty. Suffering in a fallen world, right? Things are broken around here. They, they don't go right. Stuff doesn't work. Our bodies don't won't work right. Relationships don't always work right. And opposition from a spiritual opponent, a little different than suffering. Suffering doesn't have a personality to it. It just is a condition. The opponent you face has a personality. He is specific. He thinks. He strategizes. He's a real being. You're a real being. He's a real being. You have real encounters with this real spiritual being. All right, now understand, the Bible is assuming you know that. The Bible is assuming you wake up every day with those realities fashioning how you live your life. So if that's drifting from us somehow, then you and I are probably getting caught off guard every day with how we're living our lives, and we can't afford to do that. So let's read this passage and hear Peter bring up these familiar themes. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Father, thank you for inspired words, carefully chosen, given and revealed so that years and years later, in the context of our lives, they might feed our souls, they might transform us, they might deposit in us hope, faith, the effect of your presence upon us. So Lord, thank you for gathering us to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you've been paying attention to our study in First Peter, there's not any new ground being broken here. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back through some rather familiar themes. As a matter of fact, just even in the last several weeks, uh, Peter preached in more than one setting on the warfare of our lives from verses preceding this and then also from Ephesians chapter 6. I shared thoughts about suffering and how to engage God in the midst of our suffering. Uh, last week, Evan visited some of these same issues. Evan did an outstanding job, didn't he, last week? Amen. Um, you know, it, it might be informative. Let me just take a moment for a, a sidebar here. I put a couple of thoughts in there. These, these are such critical issues in our lives that we are, are available to these truths on a regular basis. How do they get down in us to where they're accessible? How do they become sort of sidearms that we wear, that they, you know, we know how to go for the gun when we need to? They're, they're intrinsically in us as believers, well, I think some of what we observe here by Peter revisiting some of these things is a revelation of that. You know, if you just turn over one page, the Apostle Peter makes no apology for the fact that he feels the need in talking to an audience to talk to them about the same things over and over and over again. Every time he teaches, he's not just trying to unfold some new thing that no one's ever heard of. No one else has ever taught on this, and I'm going to teach on it today, right? He, he mentions this in the first chapter of 2 Peter in verse 12. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. All right, so he's, he's saying, look, I know you know this already, and I know you're established in this, but I'm never going to stop reminding you. All right, this might be something that's helpful for you. This is kind of apostolic drill team. You know, sometimes, you know, your, your kids, when they went through, they had flashcards and memory stuff, and you just went through the multiplication tables, and eventually, you and I got to where we know nine times seven is, all right, you just disproved everything. Four times four is, all right, you guys are English majors, I can tell. Yeah, verse 13, he says, I think it right as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And this is critical. We've got to be able to recall stuff. Stuff's got to get down inside of us. 
and not just be at the surface for us so that life that's lived at a deep level, your emotions, weighty, heavy factors in your life, that, that touches you in a deep way. If all the Bible ever does is touch the surface of your life, you are in serious trouble. Because you're not living life on the surface. I mean, you might be when you run the Winn-Dixie and when you watch the evening news, but when you live life, you're living it at a deep level. The Bible better be found in those deep places in our lives when we need it. Well, how does that happen? Well, a couple of, couple of thoughts on that. One would be repetitive presentations. Hearing what we think we know over and over and over again. So I joined the Apostle Peter in making no apology that you're going to hear this morning what you've already heard. Second would be varied settings and moments of learning. Varied settings for us in learning things, that God teaches us stuff in different settings of our lives, different moments of our lives, right? In these passages here where we hear, resist the devil and, and stand firm in these truths. All right, well, you know what? I'm, I'm learning that and hearing that differently now in my life at, at 48 years old, married for 21 plus years with a family, pastoring this church, uh, as a homeowner, I just discovered yesterday that I have a beehive in the wall of my house that's just filling my house with bees. Where's Donnie Bourgeois? Donnie, don't you leave here without talking to me. <laughs> um, right, so I need, to, I need to receive, resist the devil and stand firm now differently than I did when I was 28 and a newlywed with no children and, and working as a businessman in the CBD. Right, this is the same truth, but I'm in a different place. This word comes to life for me a little bit differently. Right, you know, what Evan preached on last week, casting your anxieties upon God. Right, well, I've been a Christian since I was a teenager, so I can remember being 18 years old and having anxieties. You know, you're 18 years old, you're trying to figure out what am I going to do in life? Who am I going to be? Is anybody going to like me? Who do I fit in with? Uh, is, would anybody really marry me? Who, I mean, who's going to be my wife? And, all right, so you're, you're, you're 18 years old and you got some anxieties. Right, well, can I tell you, I read that verse now, casting your anxieties upon him differently. Now, I'm not a teenager anymore, but I'm the father of four teenagers and I'm carrying their lives. And so I'm asking some similar questions about them and for them. And what is their future holding? And how are they going to do? And have we done everything we can to prepare them? And, and so I've got different types of anxieties now than I had then. And I hear this taught to me, and it goes into me in a different way. So that's true for you too. Now you can be saved for a long time, come back to the same passage, and all of a sudden you get it. And you get it in a deeper way. Well, that's how these things get in us. Last thing here is... These familiar themes that Peter is bringing up, he's not the only Bible teacher that touches on them. In fact, you don't have to venture far out, you know, in either direction from the letter of Peter. You know, and you get into James, and James talking about the same stuff. James is dealing a lot with suffering, and he's dealing a lot with the devil. He's dealing a lot with the devil, you know, resisting temptations and handling suffering and how you engage that. The Apostle Paul, he's all over that. John is all over that. And in an interesting way, they teach and they hide these truths in different contexts of what they're teaching. They present them a little bit different way. And so I think you get another insight as to how do you and I get this stuff? 
Well, varied teachers teach it to us. Right? We read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit teaches to us. We, we attend a meeting, and we hear the Word of God preached to us. And, and you hear different people preach the Word of God to you. Listen, one of the reasons why I'm not in the pulpit every week is not because I don't, I don't love to study and preach. I, I would do that every week. I'd give away lots of other responsibilities in a heartbeat to do that. But what I know you need is, is you need some variation of the word of God being preached in ways that God uniquely uses other guys to do that. So that's why you hear from different pastors on a regular basis. That's why you have guest speakers. Next week we'll have Gary Ricucci who will do our marriage conference with us. And though many of us have heard a bunch of things on marriage, we've been through marriage counseling, we've read some stuff, you're going to hear some things through Gary and his wife Betsy that uniquely are going to come to life for you. In the same way that maybe, you know, you, maybe you read something of Paul, but then you read it in Peter and you got it. I mean, God just chose to inspire it that way. So whether it is the variety of being in this meeting and hearing different folks preach, whether it is you using resources, right? And I, I like to call that book nook on your way out today one of the other pastors on staff. Because you can visit, you can walk in that bookstore and say, right now I'm having a crisis in this category of my life. And I, I, I need some help. And the message today, fine message, but what about this? You walk into Pastor Bookstore over there and, and there's, there's a revelation from God on those bookshelves. That God has used men uniquely to say some things in a way that, that you're going to hear it through them in a way that's different somewhere else. Now listen, this is the economy of God. This is, this is one of the reasons why it's a little uncomfortable when, when folks have a preference for who's in the pulpit. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate the encouragement from folks, but, but you need to not just have a preference to being a Paul or Apollos, etc. You need to recognize you're going to hear something uniquely through different speakers that are going to get you to see some aspect of truth that's very important. You're going to read it in a book. You're going to hear it through a different teacher. So I think these are ways that, that God gets to us and teaches these things deeply to us. But if we remember 1 Peter is written to, to folks in the first century who are undergoing suffering in their lives. That's the major theme and topic that Peter wanted to get at. How to be a Christian in the midst of suffering. How to, what do you need to hear as you walk through life and you get beat up and you get bruised? By life. What, what do you need to hear? Now, I, I like to think of Peter a little bit here as, to me, in this advice category. He comes in, you know, he, he starts charging us, be sober-minded, be watchful. There's an adversary, he's the devil, he's prowling about, resist him, stand firm. Right now, this is the advice you're getting from Peter. Now, to me, in this moment, Peter sounds like that parent on the playground. Sorry, ladies, he sounds like a dad on the playground in this moment. Because he sounds like this, right? You know, little whoever has just gone down the slide and got bumped by another kid, flipped over on his head, and he's crying, screaming. And here comes parent Peter. And he comes over, he doesn't rush over, he kind of slowly walks over. And this is how he's walking over and he's saying this along the way, you're okay, you're okay, you're, you're all right. You're all. Listen, hey, if you want, you want to play out here on the slide with the big boys, you're going to get knocked over, you're going to get some bruises, come on, dust it off. Right? That's Pastor Peter in this passage. That's what he's sounding like. He's a parent that sounds that way. Now you guys know who you are, you parents who sound that way. I, I'm, I'm a dust it off parent. Right? That's just kind of, that's the first, first bit of advice. I, I'm not the parent at the playground who's saying, Oh, running over in a panic. Oh, Johnny, Johnny, are you okay? You okay, Johnny? Come here. Come sit down. Come sit down. You don't need to play with those big boys anymore. You just sit right here with me and I'll take care of you. Just, 
you know, just an overdose of compassion and mercy, all right, and, and listen, quite honestly, I, I know there's a, there is a need for that, right? I'm not, I'm not completely foolish. It's really a good thing sometimes just to come alongside the need and be in the moment and say, listen, we don't need to worry about anything else. Just, let's just get our breath back. Let's just get healed. And, and, you know, when you come for counseling sometimes, we do recognize that that's where you are. We're, we're not in the mode of trying to make a whole lot of advancing progress right now. Just trying to get some wind back in your lungs and just listen for where you are. But that's not Peter in this mode. Peter in this mode is dusted off, stand up, there's a fight. And you got knocked down, but listen, you got to stand back up again because there's a devil out there and he's, he's on the prowl and he wants to have you for lunch. And listen, I know you're hurting. You're an audience that is suffering right now, but you're going to have to stand firm. you got to be ready to resist because he's coming back. All right, this, that's Peter in this particular passage and his advice. But let, let me move into these, these two areas that need to be clear to us. One is you live in the temporary, but you live for the eternal. You live in the temporary, but you live for the eternal. Look at verse 10. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, right? And there's, it's a loaded little quick statement. After you have suffered a little while, that, that sounds like a guarantee, doesn't it? doesn't sound like a, listen, you might have to be ready, maybe, possibly. I'm not sure. This sounds pretty certain. After you have suffered a little while, something's going to happen. What is it? The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory, not, his, not temporary, but his eternal glory in Christ. He will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, so there's, there's something awaiting. There's a temporary setting here after you have suffered a little while. Now, that word after, you learn that's a painful word when you're little. That word after, it's a big word. It's a terrible word to hear, right? I have a four-year-old that quickly figures out dessert is the main agenda of the day. And to be told, well, after you have dinner, after, after broccoli, dessert. I mean, that's a horrible thing to hear as a four-year-old. And then, it's like, I mean, he, it sends him into outer space. No, it's painful, right? You and I want dessert. We want, we want life to be sweet. We want it to be enjoyable. After broccoli, dessert, right? After you have suffered for a little while, right? And there's the good news in that. It is temporary. But you do live in that frame. You do live your life in this temporary setting that is one day going to give way to an eternal setting that's going to be different. But only after. You got to be ready for the immediate after part of that. Paul Tripp wrote a book called Forever. And Paul Tripp's a counselor as well as an author. And so he writes from his experience of leading people through challenging issues in their lives in this book. He says, as I sat with clients in life-changing moments of disappointment, anger, confusion, and grief, I helped them tell their stories so I could interpret their stories from the unique perspective of the one story that could make sense of it all. God's story. I listened to the man who had lost his job and in so doing had lost himself. And the woman 
dealing with marriage disappointment or the person who was simply lost in the middle of his own story. Again and again I sat there thinking, what I need to do is give eternity back to this person. It became increasingly clear that many of the people I counseled were struggling because there was a critical element in their story that they either never knew or had completely forgotten. And it wasn't too long after reaching out this conclusion. Did I skip something? No. And it wasn't too long after reaching this conclusion that I began to admit to myself that I was more like the people I counseled than unlike them. Like them, I often lived as an, an eternity amnesiac. I like that phrase. I, too, often live with the unrealistic expectations and functional hopelessness that always results when you tell yourself that this life you have right here, right now, is all there is. All right, don't, don't keep going yet. You know what that feels like? Where you are right now and what's going on in your life right now is all there is. That's all you got. Now, I know you don't, you don't use these words, do you? But when you start saying, yeah, that's what I feel like, well, you are using the words. You're just not saying the words. You're in the back of your mind believing the words. He says, I was confronted with the fact that in every or in very significant ways at street level, we don't always live in a way consistent with what we confess to believe. The unshakable promise of the future grace of eternity does more than give you hope for the future. No, embedded in the promise of a future is the guarantee of grace for what you're facing right here. This is good, right now. You see, the God of eternity enters your story in the here and now, or he couldn't guarantee your future. And that makes all the difference in the world. Do you understand when God stands in your story and he starts telling you about this future day that's going to be like this, and it's going to be like this, and it's going to be good like this, and and you'll never cry again. I know you're crying now, but you're never going to cry again. And you're going to experience life this way. And, And he makes these guarantees and these promises. Do you understand the only way that day is really a guarantee is if that same God comes back into your story and grabs you by the hand and makes sure you arrive there. Otherwise, that's just empty thinking about the future. For God to talk to you about eternity and what he promises your life will be like in eternity means he's right now involved in your life to get you there. That makes a huge difference. Those promises mean a lot. Not just because, okay, all right, so that means I just just put up with this. He just said... After you suffer for a little while. So just put up with this. It's going to get good later on. Okay, well, okay, I draw some comfort from that. It's going to get better later, and then that better later on lasts forever, so that's a good deal. All right, that's good. Draw some comfort from that, but also draw the reality that the promise of God that that will ever happen means right now God is with you, working in your life to get you there. Otherwise, it couldn't be a promise. It would be an absolute failure. If it was in our hands to get us there, we will never get there. So take comfort from the fact that not only do you have a great future, but you have a God who's with you right now, and he's going to get you through what you're going through. When, when you bump into Peter, turn back into 1 Peter chapter 1, and he starts talking about suffering, there is this common theme that he often brings to bear on suffering. It, it's about how this, 
This suffering right now, this temporary setting is preparation for then. This prepares for that. So this is meaningful because it's doing something for that. That's what he does with suffering. Right? Remember some of these verses, 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle, Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. I mean, he didn't get far out of the box before he says, guys, you're here temporarily. This is not home. You're in exile. This is not your home. You're going to be going home one day. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, okay, here we go, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You you live in the temporary, but you live for the eternal, who by God's grace or God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while, if you must suffer for a little while, temporary, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Trials are for a little while. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Listen, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When, when are we talking about here? You, are we, th- does this at first describing what's happening right now in the here and now? It's describing what's coming. What you have right now in the here and now, and Peter used this word a little bit earlier, this down payment, Ephesians uses the terminology of a down payment, a deposit. What you have in this world is a deposit of that world. Right, so we have some incredible stuff. You realize the Holy Spirit is the down payment of what is to come? Now, what I love about that down payment, I mean, some of you guys maybe have done a down payment. Maybe you've done a deposit on something you planned on buying, and you changed your mind. And it was, you know, non-refundable. So what did you do? Just walked away, right? You walked away from your deposit. So deposits don't mean a lot to us. But what do you do when you make the Holy Spirit the deposit? God ain't walking away from this deal, right? It's a guarantee, What God has begun in you, he is going to finish in you. What he has promised there is going to actually happen. But but do realize, even what we have going on in us, all the rich powers, this full blessing that we have in God as being New Testament believers endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not fully what it's going to be. It's a down payment. It's a taste of eternity. It's not the full thing. Right here, there's more coming. We, we live in a temporary setting where right now there's suffering and difficulty involved. In that day, full-blown open access to all that God is and does and reveals. But that's not where we are right now. Edmund Clowney in his commentary said, Peter has reminded us that the testings do not destroy our faith but purify it. That's important. Since the peculiar nature of faith is its looking, not to oneself, but to the Lord. That's the peculiar nature of faith. It looks, it 
wants to look to the Lord, it needs to look to the Lord. It is more strongly grounded when it is most dependent. All right, can, you, can you get an insight here? Right, faith for you and me. Faith gets enlivened. Faith gets built. Faith jumps onto the scene with strength and vitality when it has to look to God. Right, there's an interesting illustration. You know, when, when we've discovered that there's this great thing that vaccines can do to our, our bodies years ago, that if you injected a controlled level of a viral infection into someone, what would happen to that person's body? Well, probably the first few guys, they discovered that it'll kill them because they injected too much. But later on, they discovered this was a good thing. <laughs> They'd inject a little bit in, and what would it do? The immune system would come to life. And it would perk up, and it would go to war, and it would find that stuff, and it would build strengths and antibodies to beat that thing and resist it so that later on, if you encountered that disease, your body was built and strong. Well, you know, in a similar way, that's, that's what suffering and the opposition of the devil does in our lives. It, it's, it's kind of like God injecting a controlled level of difficulty into our lives. And the great thing is, God's good at what he does. It's, it's not going to kill you. Right? I know you're going to take on some severe flu-like symptoms. I do need to warn you. <laughs> you're going to think you're going to die. But what it's doing is it's making your faith enlivened and come to life like an antibody system so that in you is this strong, vital faith in your life that will carry you to the end so that in the end you will stand before him full of faith, believing. See, you, you don't want to be a person asking God to take away all the suffering and all the difficulty of your life. It serves a strategic purpose in the Bible, right? I mean, do you see this? You want to look at one more place here, Romans chapter 8. Paul touches on this. Similar theme, wasn't enough for Peter to teach on it. Paul teaches on it in a little different context here, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Can you, can you see something here? Right? In the, when Paul brings up that we're going to be glorified with him, right? this future promise, we're, we're going to get there, guys. He can't leave out the fact that, and you're going to suffer right now. He's doing the same thing Peter did. In this temporary realm, that you live in, you're going to experience suffering. God is going to inject in you live viruses that your faith is going to have to overcome because we want to be glorified with him in the end, right? Isn't that where this is going? Look in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And listen, not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, those of us who are saved, those of us who have received the Holy Spirit into our lives as a down payment of what's to come, we too aren't exempt from groaning. Groaning under the same sorts of fallen world circumstances that people in the world groan under. We groan inwardly, Paul says, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Be careful what you do with this temporary world. You live in this temporary world, but don't ever let something of this temporary world become your hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? What are you, an idiot? That's my translation, sorry. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right, do, do, you, do you see here, I can't take too long on, on this point, but you see, whenever the Bible visits this realm of suffering in our lives, it's suffering with a purpose. It's strategic suffering. It's, it's medically induced suffering to produce in us a faith that will take us through this life with the God who gives faith along the way, accompanying us so that one day we will inherit those promises. This inheritance far outweighs anything we're going through right now. The eternal weight of glory that will be ours makes it worth everything we're going through. Listen, this is like gravity. This is, this is like gravity. You wake up with this realization as a Christian about suffering in your life. Right, let me go to point number two here. The temporary always includes two types of difficulty. Always, always, living in this temporary realm always includes two types of difficulty. One is suffering in a fallen world for a little while. While you live here, there's no suffering. There's no suffering in heaven. By the way, there is no suffering in a place called purgatory either. But there is suffering here. And the suffering, interestingly, has got nothing to do with, with you burning off your sins. Right? When you read the Bible, I, mean, I just gave you a few verses on this. The, the strategic purpose for suffering is the same strategic person that you, you get injected with a vaccine. It's to cause faith to have to look to God, to cause faith not to atrophy and just fall to death, to enliven your faith toward God and lay hold of him. That's got nothing to do with whether you're a good person or a bad person, whether you've been a jerk so far, whether you've got a lot of sins to burn off or few. That's about your faith making it to the end. It's how God sustains you. So here we're living in this fallen world. For a little while there's going to be suffering, uh, Peter says you're, you're going to be grieved by various trials. They're going to be, they're going to be weighty, heavy things. First century Christians were walking through some really difficult things in their lives. Stuff that you know, many of it you and I don't relate to. You know, becoming a Christian for us, you know, might raise the eyebrow of a family member or two, and they might take a few pot shots at our conservative views. But if you became a Christian in the first century, 
you, you were going to be ostracized. If you were a Jew when you became a Christian, you'd be ostracized from your family. You'd be cut off from the religious world that you knew growing up. If you were a Gentile, uh, you, you just now left the ranks of polytheism. Polytheism was a way of life. It was an economic force in the first century. So you probably could lose your job. If you were a business owner and had, had a trade and you became what they call, you became an atheist. Isn't that weird? The first century, if you were a Christian, you were an atheist because you didn't believe in the theism of Rome. So you were an atheist. Well, who wants to do business with the atheist? So you, your business might just deteriorate down to nothing. You would be suffering economically. You'd be suffering relationally. Family structures would be broken. You, you lived in a third world environment. Right? You and I don't know anything about this. You lived battling health issues all the time. The food you ate, you know, it, somebody left it out of the refrigerator and it just went bad and you ate it. I'm joking. There were no refrigerators, right? I mean, so <laughs> what would you do to keep stuff from going bad? Well, they salted it and, they, you know, they had some stuff. But you just ate a lot of bacteria. You drank a lot of bacteria. You had walked around with a bellyache a lot, there, there, was, there was no hospitals. There, there was no insurance plans. There were diseases that nobody had developed any form of vaccinations for. People died very young. It was a lot of heartache. You were grieved by these trials. And so this is the environment that suffering exists. This is a fallen world. Things are broken. And he continues through the book there. And I'm not going to read all these passages, but if you looked at, at chapter 2, verse 13... He turns around and tells them, hey, look, be subject to every human institution. All right, how many of you know that's signing on for suffering? You're, you're going to be subject to a Roman government that's led by some egomaniac emperor who thinks he's God. And he's making up the rules for all of us to play by. And he's taxing everybody. And he's stealing stuff from us. And he's overtaxing, extorting. You know, this is sort of like government meets mafia kind of a thing happening here. Right, and listen, you think you got it bad because you don't like you know, certain types of tax structures in this country. Can you imagine what these folks lived in? They suffered. And yet in the midst of that, Peter's saying, be subject to these governments. Right In chapter 2, verse 18, if, if you're a slave, a person with limited, if any, form of freedom, and you're owned by another individual, and you're being mistreated... I'm not talking to you slaves who are being well-treated. I'm talking to those of you who have abusive masters who are mistreating you. Submit to them. What? That's what the New Testament sounded like for a Christian. This involves suffering. Wives are being told to submit themselves to husbands who would be disobedient to the word of God. And when you get to chapter 4 where we've been hanging out here recently... We're told to be prepared. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Christ suffered in the flesh. You be ready. You're going to suffer too. Arm yourselves. And, and do not be surprised with the fiery trials that come among you for your testing. Remember? All right. So this is how Peter's thinking through. But the good news is this is temporary. He starts the book saying it's temporary. He ends the book saying if for a little while you have to endure suffering in this fallen world. And you also have to be ready to face a spiritual opponent, a real devil. Everything I just described could happen without the devil. Sin could create all that form of suffering that we just discussed. 
But in addition to that, there's a real spiritual being out there called the devil. And we're told in these verses, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Right? You know, when we get a little bit of our theology, you know, who's the devil and what's he up to? Right, a couple of quick passages to help us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, that, that just mess up your theology a little bit. I mean, come on. Jesus was led into the wilderness. Why? Why are we going here, Lord? So you can be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led Jesus into a place so he could be tempted by the devil. Jesus, though he was a son, Hebrews says, learned obedience through the things he suffered. See, even in the Son of God, there was a strategic purpose for suffering even in his life in completing the course that was set before him. See, you know, we don't get to escape suffering. And the devil's a part of this. It says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came. Now, he doesn't, the tempter doesn't waste his time when you're fat and bloated and everything's happy and you're in your couch with your remote control and life is full of bliss. He's got other stuff to do. But when you're hungry, when you're, interestingly, as, as Evan pointed out last week, when you're in need, right? That's what hunger is. It's your moment when you recognize, I'm in need. All right. Are you in need right now? Are you in need of finances? Are you in need of health? Are you in need of a relationship to work out? Are you in need of turning the corner on some emotional turmoil? All right. When you're in need, the devil doesn't play fair. He's not looking for you to be on top of your game. It's like, you know, he looks to see when you get on the injured reserve list, and then he shows up to play. He doesn't say, oh, well, we'll just postpone the game. What, you're hurt? Oh, we don't have to go to war today. We'll come back next week. No, he waits. You're on the list. Here I come. The tempter came when he was in a moment of need. That's how he operates. Ephesians 4, 25 lets us in behind the scenes. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let your, the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, right? That'd be a good bumper sticker. Put it somewhere. Give no opportunity to the devil. Listen, how many of us are living our lives kind of based on that rule? Do not give an opportunity to the devil. Now, if I'm fair to the context here, this opportunity seems to come through stuff that's every day in our lives, like lying, being angry, and sinning against each other gives opportunity for the devil. So, you know, we, we have this amazing ability. We get wronged in a relationship. We get wronged in life. We get our back up. We feel like we're right because that person is so wrong in what they did. And so we hold on to anger and we're unforgiving and we're thinking that person needs to suffer. Listen, you just signed on to get your head knocked off. Give no opportunity for the devil. I know your anger feels good and it feels right. And it helps you bring into focus how wrong what that person did was to you. 
And all along, while you're feeling that way, you're giving an opportunity to the devil. If you're sitting here this morning, I hope you have zero peace. If you're sitting here this morning, you're angry at somebody and it's undoing you. You're kind of resentful towards somebody and, and that person. And you know right now you've been gossiping about them because you just, you're just mad as a hornet about that or a bee inside my house. But you're mad. <laughs> and you feel right about that. You should have no peace because you're giving the devil an opportunity against you. And he's good. Well, he's not good. He's bad. He's bad to the bone. I mean, he's bad, bad. He will mess your world up. So little things like, hey, well, you know, I lie a little bit here and there. Oh, really? Really? Mm. The lion's not that big a deal, maybe. But the devil that you take off the leash, he's a problem. And you're giving him opportunities. Peter taught from Ephesians 6 a couple of weeks ago. Revelation 12 is a sobering picture. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Which, by the way, I think when we use the term devil, probably none of us will ever bump into the devil this side of heaven. We will probably bump into fallen angels. So I don't think any of us actually had the devil messing with us last week. I think he's got bigger stuff to do than any of us. But you do bump into a fallen angelic being, a demonic presence that touches our world and our lives. He says, speaking of believers, it says, they have conquered him by the word of the lamb. By the, pardon me, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. All right, you not only have a devil in this world, but you have a devil who is urgent. You have a devil with an agenda. You have a devil that is eager to take down the kingdom of God every chance he can. He will do that in your life. Do you think if he didn't have the sense to not waste his time going up against the Son of God, do you, you think he's wondering whether he should take you on? He thought he could take down Jesus. Do you understand that he really did think that he could avert God's plan? He thought he could deceive Jesus into not going through with redemption. So he's, de he's a deceiver who is deceived. He, he, he's coming after you. And you, you need to be sober about that. Right? In this passage, we bump into this devil and we hear a call for being sober-minded, being watchful. Resist him firm in your faith. Right? You know, what, I, what I hear in the Apostle Peter here is that, that spiritual parent on the playground who just got, watched the, the immature child get knocked over, get clocked by the opponent. And, and he's, hey, come here, come here. You're, you're all right. You're okay. Come here. Now listen. The next time he comes at you, here, put, put the shield in your arm. Take that shield up. Stand, stand, warden your stance. Stand back. Resist. Get in a position where you're going to resist. Lean in. Wait like this. Take the sword in your hand. When he swings, you move, you move. And he's training this guy right here. This is the Apostle Peter saying, you're going to need to stand firm in your faith because he's coming back. And when he comes back, you're going to need to be ready to resist him. And the way you're going to resist him is by your faith. 
You're going to need to believe big things about God in that moment when he comes back. Big things. What, what can you get a hold that is big about God? What have you been studying in the word of God? What do you know about experiencing the presence of God and the truth of God and the promises of God that's big to you, that in the moment where the devil comes and he's loud and he's intimidating, that you can pull that out, the sword of the spirit, and you can do battle and you can stand and resist. That's what this passage is about. I'm sure he wants to be comforting and caring, and, and he is. But he knows that you just got knocked down, but, but he's coming back. You've got to resist. You've got to be ready to resist. Thomas Schreiner says, resistance is not passive, but represents active engagement against a foe. Believers will not triumph over the devil if they remain passive. The call to resistance this is helpful, does not summon believers to do Herculean acts on God's behalf. Believers are not encouraged to gather all their resources to do great works for God. No, resisting the devil means that believers remain firm in their faith, that is, in their trust in God, in their believing big things about God. Right, in the moment where you've got to resist the onslaught of the devil and you need to stand firm and do that, it's going to be by you believing some really big, accurate stuff about God and doing the hard work to have your faith believe that rather than to believe the lies the enemy is telling you with his arrows and darts. All right, and in just a moment, I want to let the Holy Spirit do some different ministry to us and for us. So, Eric, if you could come back up with the, the team. All right, this is not, a, it's not an invitation for you guys to disengage here. It's only 1125. You should be wondering, what on earth is he doing? He's not actually closing this message. Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. All right, stay with me for just for a second here. So we turn the corner to, okay, God needs to find us individually with this word this morning. Remember, God is at work to make sure your faith doesn't fail, that it makes it to the end. And he's designed suffering and opposition to be a vital part of that. All right, this is the apostle Peter writing these words. This is the apostle Peter who was on the receiving end of Jesus telling him this. Peter, I got to tell you, you don't know this, Peter, but I've looked behind the scenes. This is what's going on right now. Satan is coming after you, dude. He's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, I don't know what that's going to feel like, but that doesn't sound fun, does it? I mean, I just got those little sifters at home. It doesn't look like it's fun to be in that thing. So, Peter, Satan is coming for you, dude. He's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. In other words, he's coming and he's part of what I'm doing in your life. And you're going to feel turned inside out, shaken upside down, and dragged backwards behind a pickup truck. That's what you're going to feel like. You're going to feel like somebody just injected the swine flu into you, dude. You're going to run fever. You're going to sweat. You're going to have body ache all over you. 
But here's what you need to understand. I'm, I'm injecting this into you in a controlled environment. You're going to make it. It's not going to kill you. Your faith is not going to fail. I am working in you. And Because he promises this. And when you have turned, Peter, strengthen your brothers. All right, so there's no question. Peter's going to make it. Listen, there's no question. We're going to make it. But in the moment when God injects suffering and the opposition of the enemy into our lives, it feels like we're going to die. This is going to kill me. I'm not going to make it. All right, hold on to these verses. Uh, these are in your outline, I think. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right? You're going to feel like you got the flu really bad. It's not going to kill you. God is awakening your faith through this. God is awakening your immune system, and he is going to supply the antibodies you need to endure this illness and to make it to the end, and your faith is going to be even stronger as a result. James chapter 1, this is why James can write this, right? These are familiar themes. That's why James can say, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's no endurance. Guys, there's no getting to the end without this. Do you understand? Everybody wants to be assured, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to enter into heaven with him. Everybody wants to know that. No one gets in without enduring to the end. No one. And by the grace of God, God has designed ways for us to make sure our faith endures and makes it. This is how he's doing it. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see the strategy here? Temptations, operation of the enemy, activity of suffering, fallenness in this world. It's for a little while. In the hands of a, the great physician who knows exactly what dosage you need so that your faith will come to life in a way that strengthens and endures and makes it to the end. Let's, let's stand up together. All right, guys, as we've been learning throughout this year, we're grateful for the Holy Spirit present when we read the Word. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit present when we preach the Word. And we're grateful for the unique ministry of the Spirit to you right now, in your own heart, by God's presence in you, speaking to you, working in your life, revealing some things to you. So I, I kind of want you to just begin to listen internally, if you will, not just be listening for whatever I'm going to say next. Just begin to, to sense, what is, God, what is God doing in me as a result of this word? What is God trying to speak to me and to communicate to me?
Lord, you know your own children. You know the hairs on our heads. God, you know the places where we feel like this, this circumstance or problem or season of difficulty, I, God, I feel like it's going to kill me. God, you know the, the ones that are here that are greatly discouraged in their life. God, you know, Lord, you know a bunch of us have been praying prayers that sound something like, Lord, can you, can you take away all the suffering? Lord, can you, just, can you just get rid of the devil? Lord, I like that. Bind him up and just get him off the playing field. I, just, I don't, I don't want to have to bump into him. God, can you, can you make my life feature comfort right now? God, can you, can you make it feel better? Lord, I'd be fine if you could just from now on give me heaven on earth and take away all the difficulties from now on. God, that's, that's what I want to believe. Listen, if you've been praying prayers like that, you've been basically saying, Lord, would you please, please let my faith atrophy and die. How many of you know God's not going to answer that prayer with a sure, yeah. God's smarter than our prayer requests. He's doing for us what we need. We need suffering and opposition. We need it. For a little while, we need it. God's using it. He's using it right now in your life. real question is, do I see it that way? So here's what I want to ask the Holy Spirit to do. Just, just you and God. Get alone with God for a moment here. I want you to think for a minute. In what ways are you suffering and encountering the opposition of the devil in your life? that you need to begin to see as the viral insertion of God for the sake of strengthening your faith. This is, a, this is a good work God is doing. What's happening in your life that most of the time it feels like you just want to cry uncle. You just want to say, God, get it off of me. God, make it stop. But the mere fact that your voice has got God in it and you're looking to him is what this is intended to do. It's intended to make you cry out to God. It's intended to awaken that you need God. That's what he's been doing. It's a good thing to need God. It's a good thing in this fallen world not to drift away from God or to follow our own resources or build our own gods. It's a good thing to be in a place where we know, God, I need you. And so right now, can you, can you begin to thank God? for these circumstances? Can you begin to thank God for these moments of opposition? Can you begin to thank God for the places where you felt overwhelmed, where faith is all you got? Can you begin to say, God, thank you. You've been faithfully at work. God, I see it. I see it today more clearly. Lord, I see from your word you are at work here. God, my faith is being strengthened. Lord, I feel like I got the flu. But you are strengthening my faith, Lord. And I know that every day as my strength is increased in trusting you. Lord, I'm one step closer to those promises. And I'm one more step assured that I'm going to actually have them, Lord. They're going to be mine. That future, that, that beyond just a little while, that place of eternal blessing where you establish me and confirm these things. You're doing a work to make sure. Lord, would you awaken our hearts towards you. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. 
God, we, we don't want to be blind to what you're doing. We don't want to be competing with what you're doing at odds. Pray in prayers that don't sound like what you're doing. God, you're at work. You're at work. And you're at work in physical bodies that are here right now that are struggling this week. Ailments that have just hung around and hung around and hung around. They won't go away. God, you're at work in those who have found themselves just trapped in a world of emotions lately. Lord, just overwhelmed. Their thoughts have gotten away from them and the world feels like it weighs a thousand tons. There's some folks here, Lord, just don't feel like they can get up and face the day. Lord, you are at work. Oh, Lord, that's a tough moment to turn and say, God, thank you. God, thank you for this vaccination. God, thank you for working faith into my life. Lord, you are at work. I embrace that today. God, I get in agreement with you this morning. Can I tell you, it's not enough for you to hear this word. Grateful that we're here gathered together. I'm grateful we've read the word and heard it preached. It's not enough for you to hear it. Is it yours? Are you in agreement with this? Do you right now stand before God and say, God, God, I welcome your work. I I, I agree. I understand what you're doing, Lord. I'm not resisting it. I'm open. God, I want you to work in my life, Lord. I, I, I made this appointment with you. I knew I needed you. God, and I came and you gave me wise treatment, what I needed in my life. God, do your work. God, I get in agreement with you this morning. God, do your work. Complete what you've begun God, cause her to be a testimony that you are faithful to the end in my life. Lord, I receive what you're doing right now in my heart. As we sing this song, just let God draw you into agreement. If you've been resisting, if you've been complaining, if you've been doing more fear than faith lately, just begin to get in agreement with God right where you are this morning. Just begin to agree with him. Begin to thank God. Begin to see what he's doing. Just sing these words and let God give you fresh words by the Spirit to express your gratitude to him. He is at work and he is faithful. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the one